Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of The Leftover Thinkers. I say the next because we have completely lost track of what episode this is. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's also quite arbitrary the way that sometimes it's two and sometimes it's one, but the difference is like five minutes length. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, like, if we can't shut up, then it's two. And then if we shut up a little bit, it's one. Yeah, or if I judge that we've said more useless things than usual. <laughs> this episode is, uh, it's called Guess. It's the sixth episode of season one. And it is the, I would say the second character-centric episode. Uh, mm. And it's about, it's about Nora. And I love this episode. This is like, yeah, it's my second favorite episode of the season, I think. I love Nora. I love Carrie Coon, the actress. Like, I just... And I was just remembering as I was rewatching it how much I loved it and loving it even more with each scene. So yeah, I'm really I've been really excited about doing this episode, I think. Yeah, and the and the Matt and Nora episodes are especially remarkable, I guess, because the characters don't appear that heavily in the other episodes. Yeah. And there's also no you know, even even if the other ones are a little bit more Kevin centric, there is other storylines that are going on. So it'll jump to um, the Wayne storyline. It might jump yeah, to the yeah. storyline. There's none of this in in these episodes, which is yeah. And it's like you don't need, you wouldn't need a jail episode for many reasons, but <laughs> especially because you know we see a lot of her story. You wouldn't yeah. need a Laurie episode because we know a yeah. lot about Laurie already. So I suppose maybe what's happening is that the Mapleton episodes are really Garvey family episodes. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. because if you think of all the storylines, there's always a Garvey there. It's, it's either Laurie or it's Tom or it's Kevin and Jill. Yeah. We were reading before, before we started this episode uh, an interview with, Lindelof where he mentioned the idea of of you know maybe not planning everything out but things tying in together even though they're not planned and I, I kind of see that a lot in this show like some of the things that I'll read weren't intentional or weren't planned just fit in so beautifully and I think that's a really fascinating aspect of, of writing is that those things come out almost naturally. Yeah and also obviously there is an extent to which because of our perspective as English literature researchers, yeah. we are very much, I'm very aware that we are reading into this some stuff that the author slash authors may not have intended, but I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm perfectly yeah. okay with making <laughs> connections that were not in the mind of the creators. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I'm aware that this is what we're doing. Um, that's awesome. part of the fun yeah absolutely <laughs> um yeah okay so this episode again is called uh it's called guest it's the sixth episode of season one and we open with a shot of nora at her job and her job is uh, she's a member of the department of sudden departures and it is her responsibility to go to the people who are family or friends of the departed ask them about 150 questions about the departed once they answer those questions they put it together and send it off a parent analysis um and 
yeah and once once they complete the questionnaire then they are able to get the money uh, that is given to them yeah and i think uh this episode kind of raises the question of what is this questionnaire really for because part of it seems to be data collection yeah to be and collecting data that is then analyzed to make some to spot patterns and to maybe make a suggestion you know find correlations between the people that have departed and maybe arrive at some kind of you know contribute to the research of why this has happened presumably um but then on the other hand the, the people who are completing the questionnaire are doing it to get their departure benefit which is yeah. a sort of yeah it's a sum of money that it, people who have experienced a departure uh, receive yeah definitely so later in this episode we find out that a lot of the insurance companies wouldn't pay out because they're not technically dead so like with life insurance if, if a partner or a family member dies you would get paid out this sum of money uh, so they're using it as a technicality to say, well, they're not dead, so we don't have to pay out. So, you know, the DSD, classic, the DSD are kind of filling this gap of, of stepping in and, and providing people financial support because of this this strangeness of this event, because it's not just a death, it's a departure and they don't know if they're going to come back. I think that's an interesting thing that you said as well, and it's something that I want to bring up again later, but that point of, you know, they're trying to find patterns, because I feel like this episode... I felt like it was almost calling to the stuff that we were talking about with Matt, right? Like him trying to find patterns and him reading into things that maybe aren't quite what he imagines. Uh, And I think you're exactly right that this questionnaire is very much about trying to read patterns and then the dangers or the possibility of misreading these patterns, describing meaning where there is none. Yeah, and actually it's interesting that you talk about the Matt episode because in a sense, maybe we could say that Nora and Matt, despite perhaps representing two different sides, I suppose Nora, I see her very much aligned with rationality. Everything needs to make sense. Everything needs to be rational. And the, the Department of Sudden Departures represents this scientific, you know, um, logical mm-hmm. manner to arrive at maybe spotting patterns. But in, in effect, both Nora and Matt are trying to spot patterns and to read signs absolutely that's like we are yes (laughs) yeah their intentions are absolutely the same it's just they're coming at it from two different angles then i suppose maybe spotting patterns is a version of providing a narrative and you know this thing we were saying of how the dogs go mad because they can't make sense and basically what every character is doing is trying to make sense of this and I guess we see Nora's particular version of it in this episode, which includes very much her identity as someone who works for the DSD, as she repeats many, many times throughout the episode. Back to the first scene then. So we have have Nora questioning a man, asking this person questions from the questionnaire, some of which include, uh, to your knowledge, does the departed drink more than two alcoholic beverages? Were they born in a hospital? Uh, have they ever attempted suicide? So, you know, questions that are quite varied in, in level of personal probing and just quite random, I feel. So I yeah. think that's an interesting yeah. insight into, into what they're looking into. 
the fact that they don't really know what they're looking into and that it's yeah, so exactly they seem to just be asking a completely random range of questions from you know what they had for breakfast which we know that breakfast is important but <laughs> breakfast is always important <laughs> um what did they yeah. have for breakfast was it cereal? Because that's in this episode. <laughs> it is, yeah. More breakfast foods. Nora seems very compassionate and she's trying to make it better for this guy. But then at the end, there's this moment where she kind of has to be like, yeah, you, you have to say it. So she's asking him the question about whether uh, his partner ever committed suicide or tr- sorry, tried to commit suicide. Um, and so she's quite like thoughtful about the way she's talking to him about it. And then she's like, so is that a yes? She, she's compassionate about it, but she's still at the end, she's kind of got to go back to this tick yes or no. Exactly. Like she's still got yeah, 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 very much that. so. And I, think, and I think this is part of why she's comfortable in that job because it provides this, this buffer, this like yeah. structure that she, you know, and emotions can be contained and she can be very cold and professional about it. Yeah. Then we see her in her car and we see the gun first that's sticking out of her. Um, oh, I missed that. Um, yeah, they, they remind us that this gun um, exists. And then she is parked outside of the preschool and she is stalking uh, the preschool teacher with whom presumably her husband had an affair, as we learned. Um, and she's she's there she's kind of the children are playing and she's supervising them and she and we're seeing that Nora is observing her and the teacher notices Nora observing her and they kind Mm -hmm. of exchange a look so then Nora goes to the supermarket in the next scene and she is just doing this like enormous food shop um, she's buying like yeah. two big boxes yeah, she's... of cereal, like a massive box of Nesquik. Um, and then she gets home. Well, we see her home and we first see the rooms of her children, presumably. And they are full of stuff. They're clearly still intact. Nothing has been touched. Nothing's been taken away. There's a half done puzzle in one of the tables. Um, and then we see Nora go to her fridge and she takes out huge unopened things like a massive bottle of milk, uh, the two huge boxes of cereal, and she just chucks them out and replaces them with the new stuff that she's bought. So clearly she is just, she just keeps doing the same food shop that she was doing when her family was there. Um, but she's not using any of it. She's this massive like carton of 12 eggs and they're all untouched and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I, I love this. I have so much to say about this. I'm going to potentially bring up a bit later, but yeah, I just think it's, it's just a really nice sense of she's kind of trying to keep everything the same so that they'll come back. She's trying to make sure that she's not like forgetting them and and she's almost immortalizing them in the fact that she's keeping everything exactly as it was uh, and and keeping everything ready for them to come back it kind of shows that she is still convinced that they will return and when they do she'll have that nest quick ready for them she could be more or less convinced of that but she's acting as if they could she's she's kind of stuck yeah she's trying to convince herself that this is a possibility that they will return and that she'll be ready for them even if yeah. deep down she knows it might not be true. 
uh, we also see her look at the kitchen roll holder. The kitchen roll, the kitchen roll holder, and there's a an empty kitchen roll thingy. Roll. What the fuck is it called? It's a kitchen roll holder, I think. But then what's the what's the cardboard tube that's inside? Oh, kitchen roll tube. Yeah, there's like. There is anyway. The kitchen roll is finished. <laughs> she hasn't bought one, and she stares at it. That's that's the gist. Of yeah. It. So this this was initially. I think this was initially going to be my motif of the week, and I've got another one. Um, that, sorry, this isn't my motif of the week, but I just found that this was a really like poignant shot that really just is quite fascinating in contrast to what we've just seen. Right. So we've just seen her. She's keeping everything like the same, and she's like replacing things um food is is rotting and she's throwing it out and she's replacing it but there's something about the kitchen roll holder she's not replacing that and why isn't she replacing Mm -hmm. that and i thought that was very very notable and interesting yeah and she has um she has very brief flashes of her children and husband there are Mm -hmm. these brief scenes that we see as she looks at the kitchen roll so she looks at a newspaper um she's flicking through the newspaper and the camera kind of focuses in from the back on a an ad for someone called angel who uh, looks to be a a sex worker Uh, she flips the newspaper over looks at the ad for angel and then she calls her up and says i'd like to make an appointment so like i don't know i think when i first watched it i thought it was like that she was she was calling angel for sex I, i thought it was like or something i don't know yeah, yeah, for sure. And and also I think it's nice here because um from the moment that Angel arrives, we we and Angel are in the same position mm-hmm. of yeah, you know, having some expectation about well, clearly Angel has been called for sex and then yeah. just starting to realize that maybe something is. So Angel is asking the questions that we would want to ask while watching this. Yeah. And, and even like, you know, the, the setup, she, she, Nora blows up a, a blow up mattress, right? She, she, she puts some music on. Uh, it, it's, it's this idea that like maybe she's going to seduce this person. It's, it's a little bit romantic. Uh, um, it turns out what she wants is for her to shoot her. Exactly. And <laughs> Yeah, so we get, yeah, initially, so there's a mattress, so we may think, okay, that's for sex. Um, And then, you know, she puts CD in the stereo, and then Angel arrives. Nora looks fairly nervous, but not too nervous. Um, And then Angel says, you know, nice mattress, is that for us? And then Nora goes like, that's for me. So you're like, oh, okay, so maybe she wants Angel to watch her. And then Angel says, oh, do you like to be what? So we're, you know... Angel is asking these questions that we would yeah. ask. And then, yeah, eventually she says, I want you to shoot me. Yeah, and so Angel's initial reaction is that, like, she wants her to kill her. So she's like, no, 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 I fuck people, I don't kill people. Uh, and then Nora comes back and says, well, if I wanted to die, I wouldn't need you to shoot me. I would just do it myself. Uh, and so Nora... Yeah, which I think is an interesting, it's the second reference to suicide that we get in the course of five minutes. So yeah, I think it comes up a lot, this idea of that Nora is very pointedly not killing herself in this episode. And I think that's something that comes up right at the end um, in the final final bit as well i think this is i think this is what the the, the episode's trying to get us to do is it's it's almost kind of like taunting us with this idea that nora is going to to kill herself at some point and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of 
making us think that that's the direction she's going and she keeps veering away from it which is quite interesting agreed so Nora's very she starts describing what she wants them to do and she's just very matter of fact with it she's like oh I'll talk you through it it's just it's Kevlar like I'll put on this Kevlar suit all you need to do is aim here above the stomach below the heart like it's fine uh, and so Angel again is the kind of voice of the viewer and she's like right so you, you've done this before uh, and, and she asks well then why aren't you asking the same person to do it again uh, and Nora's like she wouldn't do it again and then Angel's like, right, well, I'm going to need another thousand for this, which, fair enough, girl. <laughs> uh, and so she, and she says okay in this way that is, like, so sweet and innocent. I don't know. It's every now and again, like, she does it in, like, the season three or something as well. And she'll just say okay. And she'll say it like a little, like, child. And it's so cute. And I'm like, this is, like, she's yeah, asking yeah. someone to shoot her. And she just sounds so, like, okay. Yeah, that's true, because Nora can actually look incredibly sweet and innocent. Yeah, so eventually Angel is convinced. Nora puts the, the music on very loud, and she's just trying to, sh she's uh, explaining what she needs to be doing. Angel seems to be getting a little bit, like, nervous and, like, changing her mind a little bit, and then Nora just keeps shouting at her, saying, do it, do it now, and she does it. She shoots. Nora goes flying onto the bed. She lands on the bed, and there's a close shot of Nora, and it just kind of looks like she's, not breathing. Angel obviously notices this as well, drops the gun, runs the fuck out of there. The camera closes in even closer on Nora and she's still not breathing. And then she just suddenly gasps out and is in a breath and we cut to the credits. Yeah, I'm like, maybe we should make Angel MVP. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, like, it takes a lot of guts to do that, I think. And you kind of get the idea of why the person that did it before doesn't want to do it again. So I, yeah, I wonder if you want to start thinking about what you think of this practice that Nora is uh, engaging in. Is she, is she trying to have that moment of, of, you know, not thinking about anything other than the pain, other than the, the, the thrill of dying? Is it a sense of her trying to commit suicide without trying to commit suicide? If she if she has this feeling that you know maybe her maybe her family maybe the departed are in a post earth world or like heaven or something like that is having a kind of near death experience like this is that going to give her an opportunity to see that and is that going to mean that she would know that they're okay? So I don't yeah. know which one I think. No, I I think I've had yeah I've also had basically all of these thoughts, and then another thing that I just thought it could be by not dying maybe she is for a moment she's suspended into this place in between life and death and maybe that's yeah. some kind of way in which she feels close to the ambiguous place where her family has gone that's a nice thought so then yeah. we get um the next scene we have nora in court um yeah. and she is i love this scene yeah it's good she so she's getting a divorce uh so the judge is kind of talking through, confirming that she wants a divorce from this guy who has departed. And then she asks if there's a matter of children to be resolved. And she says that both of her children have also departed. Um, and the judge is like, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. And mm -hmm. then she talks about how, obviously, if the, the husband returns, the divorce will still be effective. So it's this it's nice to get a glimpse into the kind of legal proceedings that have had mm -hmm. to be put in place 
she's there like okay yeah divorce granted bye but then she says uh, the the judge, judge says while you're here do you want to revert to your maiden name and she kind of says it like it's well of course that like you of course you're going to want to do it i feel like she says it in a way that like well everyone mm. else does it so you would want to do it but nora's very adamant that she still wants to be nora durst what did you think of that yeah i think that's a that's a a little foreshadowing of the of the question of identity and like the extent to which it's important to Nora to be Nora Durst. She's like, I'd yeah. like to remain Nora Durst. And obviously, while this identity creates a lot of issues, she's also not very comfortable with the idea of shedding it. It's Nora Durst who the departure happened to. So as she's leaving the court, she runs into Kevin and they have one of those adorably awkward flirting moments they have uh kevin says uh, oh if you're here for a parking ticket then i can get you out of it uh, and she says no it's a divorce i got myself out of it uh, and he goes small world me too and she just starts giggling she's like oh like you're joking right and he's like no no <laughs> should have got the hint when she joined the guilty remnant and then she's like really laughing now she's like oh this is this is a funny guy and then realizes, nope, you know, you're not joking. <laughs> and then Kevin says, no, I don't joke. I quite like it. Um, and then so out of the blue, she just says, do you want to go to Miami? He's like, what? And she says, well, I'm supposed to go to a work conference in Manhattan and it's going to be terrible. So I was thinking Miami instead. So Hot Cop says, um, oh, well, OK, I live with my daughter. And she goes, oh, fuck your daughter just then lends to a very awkward silence as Kevin's like what the fuck and she's like what did I just say and she starts babbling I'm sorry and then just walks off and it's nice and cringy. One, one of the things that we were saying last time is when oh. Kevin goes to the laundrette and Nora is there and they have this flirty moment and Kevin is very much losing it and Nora appears to have her shit together and here is kind of the reverse. So I'm thinking yeah. there's actually something interesting about seeing the characters that are not the focus of the episode in each other's episodes. Because really, it always seems like the other person is the most together one, whereas the character yeah. whose eyes we're seeing the episode through is the one that has to deal with some shit. The same with Matt. And, you know, he... Yeah. He was the crazy one in his episode, but then in other episodes, he, he appears a lot more normal and put together. And he actually acts as a contrast for characters like Kevin to go like, oh, he's more together than me kind of thing. I think even more poignant in the, in the last scene when, or one of the later scenes when, as he's going away, he's like, I'm really fucked up by the way. And she's like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like, and it's just kind of this acknowledgement that they've, they've both had, exactly like you said, they've both had these moments where they've both been fucked up and the other one's been kind of okay. And it's this acknowledgement that they're both okay. No, sorry, they're both not okay. They're both fucked up, but that's fine. And they can still like find solace in each other. And, and Yeah, they're them. okay yeah, with, like yeah, they understand each other because they're both quite fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, they're okay with each other not being okay for now. Yeah. Yeah, so so now we go to Nora's work at the DSD. Uh, she walks into her, I assume her boss's office, uh, and he's like on the phone complaining with someone, and he says something like, "Oh, I feel like I have the same conversation eight times a day." And Nora's like, "Oh, I don't know what that would be like." 
uh, obviously referring to the fact that she has to ask the questionnaire to people multiple times a day. So we hear a bit more about this work conference that she just mentioned. Uh, there's a panel that Nora is going to be speaking. Uh, the boss mentioned something about don't let them ask you about the data. She's like, oh, yeah, I've got this pre-prepared speech. And she gives this little pre-prepared speech like, oh, I, I wouldn't know what to do to analyze the data it gets sent off to someone else i'm not qualified to analyze the data so you know this is clearly something that they've been asked about in the past like nora nora's job is not to analyze the information she's being given it's just her job to take that data and collate it for mm -hmm. someone else to analyze so then she is asked the boss quite casually i feel says oh by the way what are you doing on one two one on question one two one and she he checks his email she doesn't know what he's talking about and and he checks his email and it's like oh yeah someone from like head office emailed and was like what is this person doing on question one two one because every answer is yes every person has said yes to this question and again she doesn't seem to have any idea what uh, he's talking about she looks at the questionnaire and we see half of the question that mm -hmm. says in your opinion, do you believe? We don't see the rest of the question at this point. And Nora's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but like, isn't this what we're supposed to be looking for? Are we supposed to be looking for a pattern? Isn't this a sign that maybe this is something that we've been looking for all along? The boss responds and he's like, well, you're the only one who's getting 100% yeses. It's something about, you know, maybe something how you're asking it. Maybe you're mentioning what happened to you. Maybe you're saying what happened to you at the start to get people comfortable. And Nora is like super offended at this. She's like, I would never do that because presumably it would uh, impact the data, impact the way people respond. So she's really quite annoyed at that. And the guy's like, okay, okay, never mind. I'll, I'll, it's fine. I, I believe you. I trust you. Like, I will go back to, to head office and just tell them it's fine. And then as she's leaving, he does say, when you took it, what did you answer? And she says, I said yes, all three times. So yeah, here we get the mystery of question one to one kind of being set up. And I remember being morbidly curious about this. <laughs> for the yeah, rest I was like so tempted to Google it. But like, like the first time I watched it, I was like, I'm going to spoil myself. It'll be like, <laughs> it's the leftovers, question one to one. And it'll just ruin it. But like you want to know right away. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, two things about this. I think it, one is, is for us, the idea of, the, of spotting a pattern when she's like, aren't we supposed to look for patterns? And he says, well, no, but it's just you. Other people get a variety of answers. Yeah. And it made me think how the questionnaire is, is revealing something about the person asking the questions rather than the person of whom the questions are being asked. The implication is there is something in her tone, something in the way that she's asking it that makes people say yes. The objective data collection process is not working because it's... Yeah, you can't being in, manipulated unconsciously by herself exactly exactly you can't have like objective data collection when the person that is collecting data has three departed members of their family like it's just not possible yeah and in the same way that she gets really offended at the idea that you know she might be something so unprofessional as to share her personal history and that's exactly, yeah, that, that's exactly what she would want to achieve in this role. She would want to appear 
completely objective, completely professional, cold, mm -hmm. as, as if this hasn't happened to her, but it has, and it actually influences the data in some way. Also, side note, there are 121 episodes of Lost. God, <laughs> what did you let me try and guess your thought process did you start googling the significance of the number 121 <laughs> well honestly I just kind of I thought that it might be a little like lost easter egg from the numbers but I, I couldn't remember what the numbers were so I just googled lost 121 and the first thing that came up was like there are 121 episodes of lost <laughs> um sure let's put a pin in that moving <laughs> <laughs> on um she so the next scene is nora leaving to go to this conference and there is a, a a voicemail on her answering machine from the it's the departure related occupations and practices conference uh, or yep. drop and it's just Ooh. yeah he just explains how the conference works Another point is that, you know, when, when, the, uh, when the phone, the answering machine comes on, Nora says, uh, or the recording says, hello, you've reached the Durst residence. Mm -hmm. So another reference to the fact that, you know, she wants to be known as the ident in her identity as a Durst. Uh, and he also says we were expecting big crowds. So a little bit of an insinuation that, or just letting the, the viewer know that, this is going to be a kind of big event and maybe there will be some drama going on as we yeah, see next yeah. because she arrives to all these protesters. Yeah, so I found, yeah, this scene quite, quite funny and interesting. So she gets to New York, she gets out of the taxi and outside of the hotel, there are all these protesters with increasingly batshit theories about what happened and whose fault it is. Um, there's a sign that says it never happened or another one indicating that the World Health Organization is behind it, which again, who is behind it? Who is it? It's a very clever sign, which yeah. again reminds me of uh, a current global event that is also the yeah. <laughs> many conspiracy theories. Perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's another sign that's like, we are in purgatory, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. That I could see as a lost reference. <laughs> that would make sense. A lost reference, but yeah, but like also the sense of being, and, and I'm, I'm going to pick up on this again later in my like motif of the week, but like the sense of purgatory being like this in between space of not knowing, not being able to move from, on from grief, right? Like we could read that as like a literal purgatory, but also, and potentially, I'm not saying that this is what the, the sign author meant but purgatory in the sense that they are stuck in this in-between space of transience of, of not being able to move on and, and move through their grief because there's nothing to grieve there's no body there's no actual death so mm -hmm. i thought that was quite a, an interesting sign we also see a guy dressed as the pope uh, and it is, I, his is my favorite sign he, he's got a sign that says don't trust the vatican the pope still lives here uh and it's got like a a website that says popelives.com. In still in this crowd outside of the hotel, um, there are some guilty remnants members as well. Clearly, it's mm -hmm. clearly the DR is like one of the main calls, if not like yeah. the biggest calls. And uh, they this guy puts uh, like a fake grenade in her hand, 
and it says anytime now so the whole thing is about trying to get people to to blow up right so it's, as it mentally like to frustrate people to such an extent that they'll they'll it almost like this powder keg that's ready to set mm. off so yes yeah, she gets into the hotel and she checks in and she makes some chit chat with the guy at the front desk and she says you know there's more people than than last year and the guy says, oh, yeah, it's anything but the departure with some people. They just can't, they can't let it go. And Nora gives her like a bit of a non-committal. Mm. She's made to sign a, uh, the, to read and sign the hotel's code of conduct because they said that they had some problems last year with people making trouble. And she makes a joke. It's all, it's all fine. And then she arrives at the conference registration and there is first shot we see this book called what next this clearly being sold as the main kind of conference publication people get it in their welcome packs is they're doing a huge promotion of this book called what next uh, by patrick johnson jonathan so yes she arrives at the at the desk and the woman is looking for her badge she she gives her this book and she says, oh, you know, if you want to, it's because it's in her welcome tote bag. Uh, if you want a, a good cry, read this. This guy has lost four people and this is being set up for the whole of the episode. And like, this book is amazing and this guy has lost mm-hmm. four people. And and Nora never says anything at that, but we can kind of maybe imagine that she'd be like... She says that's terrible. Mm. Yeah, it's like, mm, can't imagine what that would be like. Yeah, exactly. She's looking through the, the, the person at registration. She's trying to find Nora's badge, right? Um, and she goes, oh, looks like someone picked up your badge. And Nora's quite understandably frustrated at this. Somebody just must have picked it up by mistake. Gives her a little guest badge and then says, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. This badge will get you in anywhere. Nora is obviously not convinced. She kind of like takes a badge, steps off for a minute, and then it's just like, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. Like, I, I need my badge. I'm a panelist and I'm a legacy. Two things there. So obviously one, she's someone speaking. She's not a guest. She doesn't want to be perceived as a guest. She's someone that's there to give her knowledge and give her information. And also the idea of her being a legacy. Now, what the legacy means is that anyone who had a departure would have an orange sticker place on their badge. And so I think this is, you know, what this entire episode is kind of talking about is this idea of Nora's identity being wrapped up in the fact that she has, she is a legacy, right? She's had three departures in her close family. That is who she sees herself as, as someone who has lost her everything. Yeah. And it is both, and I agree, Plus, she sees herself as someone who works for the de- yeah. the department of sudden departure. That is her thing. Yeah. She's not exactly. just someone who's come to attend the conference. She She's is an authority on this, both on the basis of her professional experience and her personal experience. And I'm so with her. I'm like, yeah, like, what the fuck? Give her her badge. <laughs> at this point, yeah, at this point, I started to think like, actually from the moment she's given the book and she's been told this guy lost four people i wonder if this is about this identity stuff is partly about the fact that nora has left mapleton and in mapleton she is everyone knows who nora durst is she's a sort of weird celebrity 
she everyone knows that she is the person to be the most pitied out of anyone and yeah. here she gets first someone she's told that someone has lost four people so that's one more than her no one knows who she is which initially very much annoys her but also kind of later on allows her to be and do things that she wouldn't normally do so i find this quite interesting and i think it does have to do with you know stepping out of mapleton but also and this ties in quite nicely to my motif of the week which is the hotel because going to a hotel is the sense of being anonymous you can shed your identity you can do mysterious things you can do potentially dangerous things you can shed that from yourself and it, on one hand it could be like a freeing sense it can also be a threat it can be a danger the threat that you might be able to to lose your sense of self or as Nora feels like she's doing you can be replaced someone else can take your position I also want to talk about something else to do with hotels as well about the sense of hotels being like this replica of of a home mm. hotels functioning as this uh, public or, or communal space that try to replicate a sense of the private and a sense of the domestic so you know people go and they don't stay there permanently they uh say only for a little amount of time but the whole idea of hotels is that they're trying to replicate the sense of the domestic they're trying to make it feel homely and i think that this kind of links to her feelings about her grief like she she feels like maybe she doesn't belong in this post-departure world because she's lost her family she feels like she can't move on which is again exacerbated by this notion that she's she's the guest in this episode the episode is called mm -hmm. the guest she has this guest back she feels like she doesn't belong in this post-departure world um or in this space she's lost that sense of self both in herself as a legacy and in herself as an authority my final point about that is that i feel like her this might be a stretch okay but her house is almost becoming a replica of the home itself in the sense that she's like replacing the items there almost like a hotel right like when you leave a hotel room someone comes in and then they just top up the items like they top up what you've drank in the hotel bar they top up what you've had in like the the shampoo and everything and Nora's doing that same thing at home her home isn't a home anymore it's like a hotel like she feels like she's not belonging there anymore she feels like she's a guest in her own home and then yeah and then finally just you know hotels as this gateway like transient space right and something that maybe we can pick on like pick up on later on hotels is this space in which you kind of have to move through to get somewhere else and maybe how we can think of that in terms of grief and yeah I, I like this this I've, <laughs> I've taken a lot of notes of stuff to talk about in the spoiler section yeah I think this is a is a good way of thinking about the title of the episode as well that that takes us beyond you know, guest being just a word for an anonymous person. So yes, yeah, she, she gets told by the woman at the registration desk, she's starting to get upset and the woman is like not having it. She's like, look, it was just a mistake. Whoever, you know, has your badge is probably in the mixer. And there's this like wine reception. She's just trying to like hurry them along as well. She seems quite overwhelmed. There's a lot of people there. There's clearly not enough people for her to have backup badges or even like backup like legacy stickers. Yeah, so, yeah. Because she said they seem like quite stretched. Oh yeah. The other thing that I was going to bring up when Nora says I'm a legacy, the woman says I'm sorry for your loss or I'm sorry. And one thing that happens a lot is that 
Nora brings this up a lot and automatically everyone has to say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Even in court, it happened when she said, oh, both my children are departed. Oh, I'm sorry for yeah. your loss. And I suppose she could have said, she could not mention it in some of these occasions, but she chooses to do it. I kind of saw that as being her being like, right, I've tried asking, I tried asking nicely. I'm now going to use my backup weapon of the fact that I have lost all my family and it just still doesn't work which again kind of ties in with what you were saying of, of the idea that she's out of Mapleton now she can't knock a coffee cup off, off the table and just everyone's fine and nice to her because they all know who she is mm-hmm. she she doesn't have that identity anymore of being a legacy of having her family members all disappeared so she uses it like right well I guess I'm gonna pull out the big guns and the big guns don't work Yeah, and the woman just says, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, uh, but also we don't have any legacy stickers yet. I would give them to you, but... (laughs) That sucks, but can't help you, babe. Yeah, meaning a lot of other people are legacies and we've actually finished the stickers. So yeah, she she eventually gets into this wine reception and and we see the camera is, is focusing on the badges. So Nora is going along and looking at people's badges Uh, without looking at their face she's trying to find this imposter and then she while she is concentrating on this she she's not looking ahead and she bumps into this guy who is an actor who always plays psychopaths and assholes but I found him I actually found him quite fun to hate like and I think this stemmed from mostly from like Nora's response to him I think that made it more fun because the way that she just like shot him down made it bearable. I think if like she had let him do his thing in any more sense, then I think I would have been quite frustrated with him. But I just found him quite entertaining because I enjoyed watching him get shot down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he he immediately tries some kind of line. Uh, he like just says, by the way, yeah, I have the most interesting job here. But like doesn't doesn't have his badge on. So he shares yeah. his badge because he wants to be mysterious, right? He wants to be a question. He wants people to be like, ooh, why has he shared his badge? And then he doesn't leave it there. And 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 also like he talks to her as guests, just to really like affirm this whole guest idea idea. That's her name now. Her name is Guest. So he goes, Hey guest, like, are you not gonna ask me what I do? And then she just looks at him and like kind of rolls her eyes and like, oh, okay. And he's like, oh, you don't want to know what I do. Oh, <laughs> and she's like, yeah. okay, and walks off. And he seems quite offended about this, um, but like in a fun way. Offended, but also quite pleased, I think. So she, she moves on and she goes into this panel. And she, it's called the Post-Departure Delusion Disorder Panel, The Prophet's Dilemma. And so she's we're hearing this voiceover talking um as she is checking the names that have been written down and she sees that someone's put her name down she someone signed in as nora durst it could have been that someone just accidentally take took her name badge but now we're seeing no someone has purposely taken her name badge and is impersonating her they've, they've written down her name and so the voiceover is uh, someone who is giving a, a talk about this post-departure delusion disorder. And he's saying that what's scary about it is that it's happening to our friends, our neighbours, our family, and that it's about this belief that higher power is speaking to us through dreams, through signs, or through voices. And if left unchecked, it's a very dangerous disorder. 
And so I thought this was, you know, just really fascinating in terms of Matt's, right? Because we, mm. we know at this point that Matt and Nora are siblings. Uh, it's happening to our friends, neighbors, family. Um, the belief that higher power is speaking to us through signs and dreams. And, you know, I, I just felt that that was kind of yeah, a um, little reference to what was happening with Matt. Yeah, agreed. And and yeah, the guy says that these people are, are self-professed interpreters of the world's mysteries. But sometimes those conversations with God go wrong. It definitely made me think of Matt. But it also did make me think about cult leaders. But then yeah. during the scene with Wayne, I, I rethought that. So maybe we can talk about it then. Well, see, I thought it was about cult leaders at first. And then when they started saying about it being families and then talked about signs, then I thought, this is Matt. Like, mm. this is Matt all over. I also feel that this episode from this point onwards is and is kind of setting up the fact the question of whether Nora herself is going through some kind of breakdown you know whether she is misreading the signs of her badge going missing or if she is imagining things um, and I think the fact that she had that moment with Kevin earlier on and they're kind of being set up as like two two people that are, are similar and have gone through similar things they both went through divorces they're both struggling and Kevin has obviously gone through some things where he was doing things that he didn't know about because he was unconscious or sleeping or uh, sleepwalking I think that as viewers were being like kind of encouraged to think is this similar thing happening to Nora as well is she imagining these things is she reading too much into her um, badge going missing is she doing things in her sleep that she doesn't know about? Did she sleepwalk and pick up her badge and sign in? Like, and I think this carries on throughout the episode. And I think it's quite an interesting thing that they're doing here. Yeah, I thought that too. I thought of the, of the Kevin thing and Kevin going mad. And yeah, is this the same thing with Nora? Does she think yeah. there is a double of her when it is actually her? And because we don't, we don't see this person who is impersonating her up, you know, until very late in the episode, I think we are encouraged to think that it might be possible that, you know, this is all in her head in some way, or she's, you know, she's, she's kind of going mad. And yeah, and as we said at the beginning, in addition to the parallel with Kevin, we have the parallel with Matt, you know, the prophet's dilemma Matt it fits it very clearly. He thinks he can interpret the mysteries of of the universe. He thinks he knows what happened, blah, blah, blah. He can read signs. But Nora is also doing that, but in a in a you know, in a more corporate rational environment. Yeah. She's also yeah. working for a company who wants to spot patterns. She's also herself trying to make sense of something while also being in denial about other things so yeah mm -hmm. she's not that distant from these yeah. things these behaviors that appear to be distant from her yeah it's it's two sides of the same coin these two interpretations the scientific and the more spiritual they're they're kind of being shown as like equally valid because neither of them know which is correct and the debate that has been set up from the beginning about scientific explanations versus explanations based on mm. faith here we get the sense that the scientific slash rational side they have not come up with any answers either 
So it's yeah. essentially a free-for-all where people just decide what works best for them in terms of an exercise. Absolutely. So she's, she goes in and, and, and the guy is still giving his talk, giving his paper. Uh, and so Nora is just walking down the stairs and she's kind of like eyeing people up, trying to see if she can see anyone with her name badge on. And she sees this woman who looks pretty guilty and like the woman uh, catches her eye and she looks quite uncomfortable. So Nora is obviously there thinking like, that's her, that's the person who's impersonating me. The woman stands up and runs out and Nora chases her. Um, they go into the toilet and the woman goes and locks herself in a toilet. Again, these words in our ears of the idea that maybe like we're like, people can be suffering from this post-departure delusion disorder and like reading into things. So that, I think that's all I was thinking when I was watching this scene. Because I think we hear the voiceover quite a bit into Nora chasing this woman. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So then Nora follows this woman into the toilets and she kind of bends down and sees that the woman is locked into a, a cubicle and she's like, I know you're here. And then the woman opens the door and steps out and the camera focuses on her name badge and we see that it's just like a person's name badge. It's not Nora's, it's it's just someone else. Mm. And so Nora's like, oh gosh, like I'm so sorry, I thought you were somebody else. But then it turns out that the woman knows who Nora is and she's like a bit thrown. She's like, well, you don't remember me. Last year, you called me a heartless bitch. Uh, and Nora's initially just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she thinks and then she's like, oh, I do know what you're talking about. You said my kids disappeared because I gave them frosted flakes. And the woman replies and she's like, no, I mentioned a correlation between pre-adolescent departures and breakfast cereal and you made me cry in front of a room full of people. If only I mean, Nora could hear our theories about breakfast food. <laughs> well, if only. But like, I don't know. I kind of like on one hand, I'm like, well, yeah, she should be fine to give theories because that's what Nora's job is as well. But oh, then actually Nora's job isn't that. Nora's job is just to collect the information though, isn't it? It's not to read interpretations. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're at something like this, then like maybe read the room a little bit and maybe try not to mention Yeah, no, but the point is here that, that Nora was being, clearly she has reacted irrationally and angrily at this woman like that I think that's the implication you don't feel like she's in the wrong I don't know to call maybe the woman I'm... a heartless bitch <laughs> maybe she was being a heartless bitch maybe this is my 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 love for Nora is coming out too much here I guess it depends on the tone but but Nora herself she seems to react as if she realizes that that was an overreaction and she yeah. said, I was going through a tough time. Um, so I feel like this point, it's, it's kind of showing that, you know, if we were thinking about her two ideas of her, how she identifies herself. So she's got herself as um, someone who is a member of the, the DSD, someone who is, is scientific, who is rational, who's practical. And then there's Nora as the person who has lost three members of their family and is a legacy. Mm -hmm. and she's trying to like deal with these two identities and trying to like, incorporate them together and I think this is one of these moments where we see that maybe they can't quite fit together all the time 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think you've, yeah, you've really narrowed it down to, to something that I've been thinking about in terms of Nora's double identity or Nora's other identities, which are very much a theme here. And I think you're right, because here, one of the things that I noted is that when the woman says, you called me a heartless bitch, Nora said, that wasn't me. And again, over the course yeah. of the brief scene, we get the woman isn't what Nora thought she would. And the, you know, Nora, she hears about herself from someone else and she doesn't identify with that. She says, no, that wasn't me. So I it's Nora that. continually saying, no, that's not me. No, I'm this, no, I'm that. So it's sorting through all the different identities that, that Nora has. And I think part of it is because she's disavowing her emotional self the specter of of last year's conference and what Nora was like at last year's conference and the woman kind of mockingly says as she leaves oh yeah you're much better now yeah <laughs> the woman thinks that she's still you know she's still coping with her grief in 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 slightly unhealthy ways okay so yeah she goes outside and she goes to the lift and so I want to talk for a minute about lifts okay um, so she goes to the lift first and, and she goes to one and the doors open and there's a guy in a, with a grey beard and a, like a flat cap and he's like struggling breathing, he's like breathing deeply and someone else is stood next to him, he's a taller guy with a little bit less hair and he's like calming him down, right? One thing that we haven't mentioned is that that guy was the drinks mixer, the, bold, the tall bold guy and yes, this guy and he was talking like, at the drinks mixer. And one thing that we didn't mention is that the, the no badge guy, Marcus, says to Nora, oh, look out for that guy because he's going up to people and asking, do you want to feel this way? Yeah. And we see yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, yeah, in the middle of a pitch. So now we're seeing them again in the lift. So Nora goes up to this elevator, this, this uh, lift, and, and is like, oh, I'll take the next one. Um, and then she waits for the next one and then the next one is like full of these big bustling group of people including that guy that she spoke to earlier i'm going to put a pin in um that guy because he comes up later um and i'll talk about him then but i also just want to put in a series wide or season wide pin about elevators mm. because we've seen an elevator before in the matt centric episode um, when Matt is going to see that 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 girl, right, and and he wa he he's waiting for the elevator to take him in the hotel, um, and it's a, a clown, and he's like, oh, guess you're going to the same place I'm going to, and I am sure that there is another point in the future, and I don't know which one, so it's not a spoiler, but I'm sure an elevator comes up again. And when I was just thinking about this idea of hotels as being this space of impermanence and transience and moving from one place to the other I couldn't help but also think about um lifts and elevators and and that kind of sense of moving um between different places these um locations of liminality and potentially purgatory and moving down and mm -hmm. up and so this is just something that I would like to flag and I think the fact that you know she went to go to one elevator and there was clearly something serious happening in that. She couldn't go in that elevator. So she went to the next one, which then made the next thing, mm -hmm. the next event happen. I thought that was quite interesting. The fact that she was 
trying to go to one direction that would take her to another place and instead she was made to go in another direction which took her to a different place yeah and if we're thinking about the doubling of identities Mm -hmm. uh you know we have (laughs) this is turning into sliding doors yeah yeah she could have yeah the, the two the two lifts could represent you know two different, different choices that she makes and the fact that she says i'll take the next one knowing what we know that this guy is the recruiter for for wayne mm. she is not ready to take that elevator yet mm. linking back to to matt when he looks at this clown and he's like oh i guess we're going to the same place yeah I think you're right and I think it ties into what happens in the next lift as well so so Mm -hmm, she gets into the lift with uh this guy Marcus and the party elevator I've written down yeah the party (laughs) and she's and she's a bit like she doesn't want to get in initially and this guy's like nah come in and he kind of forces her in and she says to her or you're coming with us to the hospitality suite for drinks and she's like, oh, I don't know. And then this guy stops. He, he stops the lift, which if someone did that to me in a full elevator, I would fucking go mad. Like there could be claustrophobic people in there. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> anyway. I don't know. I just, I've seen so many episodes of um, ER or, or Grey's Anatomy and they seem to always be in lifts and they seem to always be stopping the lift and like yeah, making Yeah, it's not a thing that, that you can actually like, do. But anyway, it and seems like normal now. Like I feel like I would underreact if someone stopped to look. It's like, me. oh, this again. <laughs> oh, someone's gonna make out with me. <laughs> but this is interesting in the in light of what you just said about, uh, you know, elevators being the suspended places and they can go up or down, and the fact that he stops it here and yeah. he is give, in yeah. the moment in which he is given her a choice, he stops it and goes, look you know very arrogant very annoying but whatever it it works for the episode um (laughs) he says you can you know you can spend the next two two, two, again the phrasing here is interesting you can spend the next two days dying dying slowly while you watch boring panels playing by the rules playing by the rules or you can you know come party with us you can live you can choose to live something like that yeah He's presenting her, he has literally stopped the lift and presented her with the choice, do you want to live or do you want to die? Which is something that has been signposted already in terms mm-hmm. of Nora perhaps wanting to die, perhaps not. So, yeah. So, <laughs> this- so she wants to live. She goes to the party elevator. <laughs> Which is kind of like the, the adult skins party of the episode. I was, I was thinking exactly the same. <laughs> Everyone's like very drunk and they're all just letting loose. Oh, I, there's one of the people, you know, they're, they're talking, they're having fun, they're partying. And someone says, leave that ship to the oranges. Uh, and Nora looks a little bit confused. And uh, the woman says, oh, the legacies, the orphans, the survivors, whatever they want to be called this yeah which again the sense of identity and prescribing identity onto yourself and finding your identity through your loss just to set this up again so like obviously we know as viewers that nora is a legacy she's a she's someone who has lost three members of her family and she should have that badge with the orange on it she should be an orange but she's not she's a guest 
she's shedding her identity as as a legacy and also hear people talk shit about the legacy and about how they're annoyed that you know i think yeah the woman says uh yeah they just I'm sick of treating them like they're supposed to be better than everyone else. And this is not a conversation that anyone would have with Nora. And I think this is exactly what I thought of when you were saying earlier about the fact that the, the woman said to Nora, like, oh, like, I'm sorry if you're lost. Because um, this, this woman here, she's like, oh, like, what, I'm supposed to treat them better than anyone else? Like, how many times am I supposed to say I'm sorry? Mm. Which is kind of insinuating that this this sense of Nora saying, oh, like, I'm a legacy or like, I've lost my family. And this idea of responding and being like, oh, I'm sorry. It's almost, it's like, it's like a practice retort, right? Like it's yeah. almost lost any meaning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's, we see her here in this quite anonymous space. Yeah. Being able to hear these thoughts about the people mm-hmm. like her. Um, and then she's, she's given some pill by this woman uh, and everyone is taking <laughs> these pills. <laughs> then, like, the party gets full on skins. People are undressing. They're making out. They're, like, just drinking and smoking, lying on the floor. Nora is on top of a sofa, and she's dancing wildly, um, which is a fun look on Nora. And then, yeah, everyone's talking quite drunkenly, and they're like, oh, why do you even work for the DSD? Uh, and then she repeats that that kind of non-committal prepared statement about how she's not authorized to analyze the data and yeah she's being non-committal in general about the job and and I Mm -hmm. think someone says oh it's a fucking scam Uh, and and Mm -hmm. some guy is talking about how they created the questionnaire to put people off from claiming benefits yeah um she's kind of half-heartedly defending it but not too much and so we get she just says like i like giving people money yeah they're like why do you work for dsd and she's like i just like giving people money which is yeah and but then the the point is that yeah the questioner is making it difficult for people to claim money uh is putting kind of hoops for them to jump before they get their money. And so again, this very ambiguous purpose of the DSD, are they collecting data? Are they helping people get money? Are they preventing people from getting money? 